Um, if you're able, please stand to the show reverence to the Lord as we join you here in his word. Um, our Old Testament reading this morning is Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our own image, in an, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Our second, our New Testament reading is 1 Corinthians 6, 12 to 20. All things are lawful to me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful to me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is, meant, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and he, he also raised us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the bodies of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but a sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Please join me in prayer. Our Father, we're grateful for your word and for the way that it speaks to us, and that your word you have said and and Lord, and it is true, because you said it, that your word is eternal. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never pass away. Lord, let this enduring word that we've read, and Lord, and now, Lord, we will we'll talk about, capture our hearts and minds for the glory of Christ that we might live for him and love him even more for what it is that he has done for us and it's in his name we pray amen well, good morning this morning you will forgive me if I'm preaching under the influence of Benadryl I've had some sort of allergic reaction and it's caused my lip to swell and maybe you don't notice it because my lips are normally big, but, <laughs> but it's even, my top lip is even bigger. And so if I, 
feels like I'm stumbling over my words. See, normally, you know, my tongue gets wrapped around my eye tooth and I can't see what I'm saying. But this morning, it's because my lip gets in the way. But if you're joining us, uh, this, this is a continuation of a sermon that began last Sunday as we are in this series of sermons on the gospel and human sexuality, or the subtitle, How the Gospel is Good News for the Sexually Broken. Now, the sermon title is Glorify God in Your Body, and it's taken from the text, and it's the conclusion that the Apostle Paul makes at the end of his reasoning. And Paul is showing us the importance of our body and gender. And now somebody would say, but he doesn't mention gender, only the body. Yes, he doesn't mention gender. But the body, yet, as we see from Genesis 1:27, when God made humans, he gave them bodies, and their bodies were male and female. And together, they are the image of God. And what we learn from the scripture is that God talks about our bodies and and gender in far different terms than the culture. The culture says gender is something that you can choose, like picking out clothes. You can decide your gender. Therefore, you look within yourself to to find out what what you are according to your, your feelings. And then you want everyone else, the rest of the world, to submit to you and, and to affirm you in, in that. And we also saw last week that, that a considerable percentage of Christians, men and women, who believe the Bible is the highest authority for what they believe, 37% tend to agree with the idea that gender is a choice and is not fixed by God's design. But God talks about our genders in very different terms. And what we saw last week, that according to, according to the Bible, God says our bodies and gender are blessed. They're powerful. They're valued. And, and they are for God's glory. So last Sunday, we covered three of the four points. So I won't go over those first three points again. You can go to the website and listen to the message. But I want to pick up on the last point of the sermon, that our bodies and our genders are for the glory of God. And all of, all of this is, is very different from what the culture says to us. And as you know, and as, you, as, and as we have seen and historians have written about, Christianity changed the cultural ideas about sex with its understanding of our bodies and gender. And that it was, and so, so that Christianity brought about a sexual revolution. And you think about how, how revolutionary it is, it, it might have been, to hear that you are, are free and that, that you don't need to let your passions or anything else or dominate you. So if you were a slave in, in first century Rome, you had no rights if, you're, if your master or your lord wanted you in their bed, even though they are married. See, that's a Western, that's a Western idea, you know, that, that, and, that, and, that, and that you shouldn't, you shouldn't have other sexual parts because you're married that didn't exist in first century Rome that wasn't there that wasn't their more but but if that if that person if that master or your lord wanted you in their bed even though they were married you had no choice but to do as you were commanded but Christianity came comes along and now slaves and masters can, are coming to faith in Christ. They're, and, and, they're, and it's telling you that you're free 
and not to be dominated by anything or anyone. Think about that. And this is what Paul is calling them to reason. See, the gospel is undermining cultural practices of the day. And it's still doing that today. So in some households, yes, the master and the slave became believers, as in the case of Philemon and, and Onesimus and, and the jailer in Philippi in, in, Acts, in Acts 16. And he, and he and his household came to faith. They believed. And Christ, and when Christ rises from the dead, and he says to the disciples that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he means he has authority over our bodies and gender too. Sexual revolution began with Jesus' resurrection. See, you should have said hallelujah. Because it, it, it's radical what Christ, what Christ did. And he says that our bodies and our gender, like his, are for the glory of God. But what does this mean? Well, to answer that question is what the sermon is about. Since Christianity brought about a sexual revolution that changed the world by giving equal value to women and men, regardless of their social standing, how were they able to build and live in such a radical community? Or to put it another way, where are you going to get the affirmation and love that your heart needs to withstand the culture. So from our Bible reading, we see that, that what, they, what they did is that they, they looked back to the cross while facing the certainty of a future resurrection so that they might presently live for God's glory. And those three points, subpoints of one point. <laughs> So looking back, so, so the first thing, the first point number one, they're looking back at the cross. Good verse, verse, the last half of verse 19 and the first part of verse 20. That's the way the ESV breaks up the, this verse. It's not like that in other translations. But the text says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. You see, this verse and, or this sentence is, is looking back to the cross, back to Christ's death. And you might ask why. It's pointing them back to the place where they are justified. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, and Paul would remind them that, that the change, that about the change that took place, how, they, how they, they've gone from being unrighteous to justified. And look at what he says. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. See, this text is saying to us, everybody, everybody is looking for a sentence to be passed on them. A sentence that says, I am approved. The, the approval of the culture is not going to get you the sentence that satisfies, though. This is a true story. 
a single mom, Abigail Martinez, and her daughter, Yaeli, began struggling with depression. began struggling with depression in the eighth grade. And without communicating with her mother, Yaeli was quickly funneled by people from her school towards an LGBTQ group and then a psychologist. They were leading the eighth grader toward a, a social transition going by the name Andrew and increasingly presenting as a boy. And during this time, they told her she shouldn't tell her parents. The mother found out and protested to the way the school handled it and the counseling. And they told her she was the problem. Abigail was shut out and the Los Angeles Department of Children and Family Services stepped in and removed the now 16-year-old daughter to a group home where she began cross-sex hormones. Now, Abigail was only allowed to see her once a week under supervised visits. And she was warned not to talk to her about her transitioning, including their Christian faith. And if she did, she would lose her privilege of seeing her daughter. And all the while, the teenager's mental health declined. The testosterone that she was taking caused her pain. The doctor prescribed CBD oil. But none of this made Yaeli happy. And at the age of 19, Yaeli moved out of the group home and pursued her new identity for about three years and then took her life. Last week, I had a handkerchief with me because this story breaks my heart. And I know that there are a lot of people who have, who can, and they carry that pain. And you, you can look up Abigail's story in, in uh, the Daily Signal. Oh, oh, thank you, brother. It wasn't used. Praise the Lord. <laughs> uh, uh, it's heartbreaking. Yahweh couldn't look, she couldn't look into herself to find the justification she longed for. The gender affirmation of school and the counselors and, and the psychiatrists wasn't enough to stop the internal voices of self-condemnation in Yah Eli. You see, as I said, everybody, everybody is looking for approval. That's why, that's why the, the, there's this ever-ready retort from people for, who, for whatever it is they're doing in their bodies is, is, don't judge me. See, the trouble is, if you're honest with yourself, if you have to tell people don't judge, you already have a good amount of self-judgment going on. Your own voice is casting a verdict. It's condemning you. And you know you aren't right. And the more you protest that you are right, the more it seems you aren't. See, the person who is blameless and right has no need to tell other people not to judge them since there's nothing wrong in them. They have no inner condemning voice telling them they are guilty. And you know, there's only been one person who has ever lived with no inner voice of condemnation even though others heaped blame on him. And you know the answer to that question. Yes, Jesus Christ. See, looking back at the cross says that you can't get the justification you need from screaming at the world, don't judge me. Shouting at your family 
accept me is just another way of seeking to be justified by some other means than the cross. See, on the cross, Jesus took your sins. He gives you his righteousness. The blame that was heaped on him is the blame that you and I deserved. He took the blame, and yet he didn't hear an inner voice of condemnation. Instead, he heard, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He takes your blame. You get his righteousness. Hallelujah. No political party can do that. No, no drug company can give you that kind of justification. You won't find cleansing in a counselor's office. You can't, the affirmation of your, of your body and gender, you aren't going to get that from the nightly news. I don't care what channel you're watching. No, the affirmation your body and gender needs can only come through faith in Jesus Christ. He alone can give you the washing, the sanctifying, the, justifi the justification your soul needs. And when you have Jesus' justification, you then are facing the certainty of a future resurrection. Look at verses 13 and 14. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise, up, raise us up by his power. See, don't you love this verse? Last week, as we looked at this verse, we saw that how, how our bodies and gender are, are powerful gifts from, from God because of the resurrection. And today, there's more here in these verses because it's telling you, it's telling you, the verse is telling us that you don't have to abuse your body. You don't have to abuse your body because the resurrection is coming. You, see, you, you don't have to let the abuse that happened to your body at the hands of others define you or control your destiny because the resurrection is coming. It's telling, it's telling you that the fact of Jesus' resurrection is the confidence you and I have in being resurrected. And the resurrection, at the very least, it means New bodies. Hallelujah. Yeah, new bodies. Yeah, not, not something technologically manufactured. See, resurrection is the fruit of being vindicated. God raised Jesus from the dead because he did everything right. Yes, yeah, see, Jesus is the only one who, who, who has worked for salvation that we have. Oh my, that's terrible, isn't it? But it's true. Jesus is the only one who worked for the salvation that we have. And, he, and everything he did, he did everything right, including dying in our place. Jesus' suffering for us was the right thing for him to do. Now that'd make you both shout and fall on your face in worship. 
He did everything. He did everything right, even the suffering. Jesus' resurrection from the dead is the vindication of his righteousness. In John 10, 17, here it is in the Bible, is a verse where, where Jesus asserts his confidence in the Father's love and, and the vindication by the resurrection. He says this, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. You see, Jesus' resurrection is, is vindication of his righteousness. It's vindication that he did everything right. See, the story of Job is a good biblical illustration of this truth. Job, after all of his suffering, through no fault of his own, he's blamed for the trouble, but he's not guilty of what is heaped upon him. So you just think that the end of Job is, is that, oh, you know, yeah, everything's happy at the end. Well, that's not, that's not really what the story of Job is about. You know? But, I mean, it's true. Things are happier for him. But, he's, he's, but, but all, of that, all of the guilt that's heaped on him in the end, God vindicates Job by restoring Job and, and giving him more than he had before. And it's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered unjustly and is vindicated by his resurrection from the dead. And in his vindication, all things are made new. Hallelujah. You and I, when, 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 Christ, when Christ comes into your life, you are, the scripture says what? A new creation. Have you abused your body? Have you done things to your body that you can't undo or you wish you had never done? Come and repent and place your faith in Jesus Christ. He is your justification and his resurrection is his vindication. His resurrection is his vindication and so it is yours too by faith. Have you suffered abuse at the hands of others? Come to Jesus Christ. He is the healer, the scripture says, of all your soul's diseases. He knows what it's like to suffer abuse and defilement in his body at the hands of others. He is your justification. And because he is vindicated by his resurrection, you too will be vindicated by faith in him. And God will raise you up by his power. Hallelujah. It is this future certainty that enables us to presently live for God's glory. Look at verses 19 and 20. Or, Paul would say, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, the verbs here in the Greek are saying all of these things, all of these things are, are facts right now. They're facts right now. It's indicative. They're, they're, they're right now. It is, they are facts. You, you are not your own because you were bought with a price. This is a present reality. That's a good place to say amen. Yeah. Yeah, because here, here is the ground of your transformation. See, right now, for everyone whose faith is in Jesus Christ, they are purchased for God. You might wonder, why in the world did Jesus have to purchase us for God? If God created us, weren't we already his? No, yeah, 
Yeah, so that is a good question. Hang on, we'll, tell, we'll answer that. And right now, for everyone who is purchased for God is right now the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us individually, but much more powerfully as a community. And because this is our present reality, the ongoing command is to use your body to bring praise, glory, honor, magnification to God. It's hard, it's, it's hard to grasp you know, in, in the time that we have uh, the, the intensity of our relationship with God and and do you know, do you know what God thinks the intensity of our relationship with him is supposed to be like? Do you, do you, do you understand that? You know, all through the Old Testament, you get pictures of it, you get, you get images of it. But here in, in Ezekiel chapter 16, it is powerfully and graphically portrayed. It says, listen, listen to what, what God's, in, in, in Ezekiel's, I'm not going to read the whole chapter because that would have taken 25 minutes. But anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, go home. Go home and, and read it, and 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 yeah, it, it will make you blush. For those of you whose blush can be seen. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. See, I blush. You just can't tell it. Yeah, yeah. Well, because because but you know so so he he just, God describes what the intensity of our relationship is to be like. Now listen to what he says about the rebellion of his people and yet his love for them. In Ezekiel 16, the Lord recounts their history, how he loved his people, and it's very, I'm going to tell you, it's a very graphic detail, but it's likening the intensity of God's relationship with his people to the act of sex between a man and wife. Even though they were unfaithful, yet God still loved them. Listen, this is, this is verses 59 through 63 of Ezekiel 16, and, and it's, it's the beautiful part of, of, of the chapter as it talks about the everlasting covenant. You know, For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done. In the pre previous parts of the chapter, he talks about their infidelity and, and their whoredom is the word is the, that, that, that is used uh, for, for them and, and, and how awful the whoredom was. And so, so he, but, but here's what he says, I will deal with you as you have done. Meaning the consequences of your, of your sin, he's going to let it play itself out. You have despised the oath in breaking the covenant. Yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth. I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you take your sisters, both your elder and your younger, and I give them to you as daughters, but not on account of the covenant with you. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be confounded, and never open your mouth again because of your shame. When I atone for you, for all that you have done, declares the Lord God. That is so beautiful, what it is, what, what the Lord is saying to me. And, and even as I read it, I'm thinking of, of you, you parents whose hearts break for your children who are struggling with this very issue. Your hearts break. Hear what God is saying to you. 
And what he is saying, my covenant, I remember the covenant in the days of your youth. Hallelujah. God doesn't forget. We do. God doesn't. See, God's love for his people is illustrated as the act of sex in a marriage that is, that is filled with infidelity. Yet he forgives. He pursues. He restores. He, he atones for all that his unfaithful spouse has done. He provides the atonement. And so, you know, what worship is, worship is, is having our hearts ravished by the love of God so that we glory in his love. And furthermore, since we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, what goes on in the temple of God is experiencing a love that will not let you go. Glorying, praise, offering, joy, awe, wonder, experiencing the pleasure of the presence of God. See, glorify, glorify, glorying, glorifying, it, it, it's what an image is supposed to do, what the image of a thing is supposed to do. You and I, you're made, both male and female, you're made in God's image. And now, because of Christ's justification and the vindication and the vindicating certainty of a future resurrection, we are presently being remade into the image of Christ. Do you see? Do you see? It's not enough. It's not enough to be made in the image of God. It's true, but that's not enough. You need to be remade into the image of Christ, hence the new birth. You need to, so you need to stop seeking to justify yourself. Lay down your own glory. Lay down pursuing your own glory. George Matheson, the hymn writer, lost his sight when he was 17. And his fiancée left him, saying she didn't want to spend her life with a blind man. And it's believed that some 20 years later, he penned the words to the hymn, O love that will not let me go. And it was on the occasion, some 20 years later, of his sister's wedding, recalling his own troubles of a love that did let him go. But now in Christ was a greater love, the love his soul needed. It is said, it was, it is said he wrote these verses in five minutes. This is from words from his own lips. He wrote these in five minutes. These, but it's the third verse that captures the end of self-glorification. Because look at what he says, what he pins. O cross that liftest up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay in dust. Life's glory dead, and from the ground there blossoms red life that shall endless be. See, when you take that kind of love, a love that pursues you in your unfaithfulness, a love that justifies you by giving itself up for you. A love that says, I love you no matter what, through whatever, forever. See, if you let that love ravish your self-condemning heart, only then will you stop seeking other lovers. Only then will you lay down 
pursuing your own glory and begin to glorify God in your body. Let's pray. Father, we don't think about our bodies and gender in these terms, and Lord, and too many of us has, have allowed the culture, have allowed videos, have allowed social media and everything else to shape our understanding of our bodies. Lord, the public, public opinion, which is just as, as, as messed up as we are, Lord, but your word sets us straight, guide us, by, Lord, and guide us in love through the cross, through your resurrection, to be presently glorifying you in our bodies. Lord, be powerfully at work in each heart that's struggling now, that they might understand the value of what it is that you have given to them through Jesus Christ and his love for them. For it's in his name we pray.